This is the 18th season of Bass Talk Live. With your host, Matt Pangrad. BTL is brought to you by Lorance, Bass Cat Boats, AFCO, Strike King Lures, Sunline, Big Bite Baits, Spro, X-Zone Lures, Gamakatsu, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, and Pro Guide Batteries. PTL, coming at ya! Good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live, where we are going to talk bass fishing. Yes, the man... Mark Menendez right next to me. Uh, if you watch yesterday's show, we are at the media event for Strike King and Lose in the Mitten of Michigan at the very top of the Mitten of Michigan. And I did not know there were this many cool little fisheries around here. It, uh, it's a cool place, isn't it, Mark? It's a great destination. Good fishing. What's really neat about it, you know, numbers may not, may not catch a lot of numbers, but they're gigantors when you catch one. It seems like the average smallmouth bass here is a three and a half to five pounder it's interesting you know when you travel around the country and you've done it for what 20 how many years now? 33 you're 33 years already 33 holy years cow in, yeah. 33 years in is uh and i've covered you know through the bass zone and i've seen a lot of bags of fish weighed in behind the stage um is each region the fish while it might be a large mouth it might be a spot it might be a small mouth and i know there's different strains but each region the fish are built differently and Absolutely. it's cool when you get to a region where they're not like typical and they're kind of abnormal. And I feel like up here, the way they're built is I've never seen a smallmouth built like they are in Michigan. Like they're this. built like rocks. They're built yeah. like rocks. Just big old round fish, big eyes, big fins. Everything about them's large. You know, you get to some of our inland smallmouth fishers, our southern smallmouth fishers, and you get big long ones. You know, Kentucky Lake, Tennessee River, they're big and long. You get to the Ozarks. They're kind of short, stubby, and fat, mm -hmm. but uh, these are these are true line stretchers. What do you think that is? Is that is that the abundance of forage? Like typically, like on the TVA, do you think those fish have to the smallmouth there have to chase more fish, so it's more more advantageous for them to be streamlined? Here they, they can eat be. gobies and perch that are more abundant, so they have to pack on more because they have a winter. Like what? Or is it a, just a different strain? Am I putting too much thought into that? I, I don't. I don't know. I, I think geographically what they eat makes a big difference gobies we know are protein snacks if there's a goby there fish get big um i think it's a factor of age man uh, these are old fish you okay. can look at them they've got lots of war wounds they've got they're they're big the frame of the body the bone structure is big in these fish um yesterday i'm looking at a fish fishing for a fish a four pounder he won't move and he's got about an 18 to 19 inch this big around lamprey stuck to his side and the fish would hardly even move. I ended up snagging that lamprey off that fish. Fish went that way. Lamprey ended up in two parts. So they've got predators here, but they do have a, a food smorgasbord that's unlike any other. Those aren't Kentucky Lake too, aren't there lampreys? There is a natural Tennessee River lamprey that is a smaller uh, inland lamprey. This is one that came basically from the Great Lakes and that's a bigger variety. I was out shooting some stuff with uh, 
Zona last night, which I'd never been in the boat with him. And like I said, it wasn't his choice. You get selected with the media guy, and then they go out well, for two and a half hours. So it wasn't like Zona was like, let's go fishing. Like, I mean, it was like, hey, you're with Zona. So anyway, we were out there, and I hooked into uh, a steelhead. Yes. And it, there's like four or five different types of trout and salmon up here. I know some of the guys have caught uh, uh, rainbow trout, but it broke me off like pretty quick. But it was a big one, and I don't think I've been that upset losing a fish. But the diversity of the fish up here is crazy. It's really neat. I had a big steelhead come after my spinnerbait last night. Uh, multiple species of pike, muskie, all of those different fish, walleye. So you've got a huge smorgasbord. Yesterday was a Chamber of Commerce day. It was absolutely gorgeous. High blue skies, wind, perfect smallmouth. It's bad. And, We're supposed to be on the water right now. It's raining yeah, and, and blowing it's, 20. Um, it's blowing 20 and expected to blow almost 40 here in a little bit. So we'll talk about fishing instead of getting together. How important is it when you go to different fisheries, like up here, like I was, you know, you, you see bait on the graph, but I have no idea what it is. I'm assuming it's not threadfin shad. How important is it to know what type of bait it is and how that bait reacts? I just got done with the open on Hartwell, obviously blueback herring. herring. That's a whole different issue. I know, but just when you go to a different fishery, how do you gauge and understand what's in there and how that bait fish reacts? And how important is that to your tournament strategy? Actually, time has helped me learn that, Matt. And what I look for when I come up north, and it's what I had for dinner last night, was yellow perch. Bass like yellow perch, walleye like yellow perch, all the predators like yellow perch. And when I find yellow perch, they school really tight together, really tight together, or they string out in a long, long look this way. It's either blocky on your screen or they string out. Uh, if they string out, they're generally larger. If they're smaller, they bulk up just like a threadfin shad pile look like. But when you get around those, you've got predators close. The rain's really starting to come down. It is here, getting folks. ready there, to come. There it is, right there. It is. It is hucking. The other thing that's cool here is they have jet black squirrels. I was yeah, hoping one a, was well, one was coming around here looking for a snack, and I was going to show him. It but, looks like skunks climbing trees yeah. with no white on them, and they are jet black. Uh, what has been the toughest kind of bait fish or forage to figure out in a tournament? Like, what are the most frustrating? bait fish that fish like to get on that is simple that is a blueback herring oh really um a blueback changes everything that we know matt that we know about a largemouth bass in particular uh cover oriented um stumps rocks trees laydowns, brush piles uh -uh, throw it all away and you become a striper fisherman that's why when you get around blueback herring in your lakes the fish become elongated because they they become just a roamer and all they do is swim uh they become a green striped bass and that's how you have to focus on them oh, i'm trying to think so what you have like cisco and alewife where are those mainly located in deep deep clear lakes you've got alewives in dale hollow got them in cumberland uh deep mountain style lakes like that mostly really? um that have been they've been implanted there for cold water species that have been stopped and then obviously the threadfin and the gizzards which would you would say the threadfin is probably the most common bait the fish. most prevalent bait fish in the country yes and then the second would probably be a gizzard probably so uh and then the blueback herring and then what else are there are there you know when you a get smelt they are smelting fresh smelt smelt you can get into the smelt uh, i'm trying to remember where we were um i guess it was uh, um thousand islands when we were up there at clayton you know you'd have them spit up bait fish this big and 
and then you they those smallmouth would clobber a seven inch swim bait. Uh, um, goby gobies are gobies are unique. Those are pretty. Easy do they to eat the out. skipjacks on the TVA fisheries? Oh, you betcha. They'll eat those. They'll, so if you guys don't know, explain what a skipjack is. I call it a baby tarpon. Well, it's a herring. It's in the herring family. They're we call them Kentucky Lake tarpon when we catch okay. them at home. Very active in cold water and and it right at the morning at night you'll see them skipping, uh, coming up and flipping and they make kind of a a skip deal. But they will bass love to eat herring. Uh, when I go home, I'll have a sexy dog on and I'll I'll go bar hopping on Kentucky Lake and the, the skipjackers start to move back out to the so river. So you channel. think that they do target? Oh, they because they target. eat baits like the skipjack do. Anyway, and I didn't know if they schooled or if they were individual. Well, fish. the good thing that they're eating these days when we do have a spawn are Asian carp. Oh, the bass, little bitty Asian carp. The reason Asian carp get so big so fast is they outgrow the predators in the lake. Asian carp spawn today. And in four months, they're five, six, eight inches long. In six months, they're a pound and a half. So they outrace our predators so the bass can't crop them down. But when they're little, crappie, bass, white bass, stripers, they eat the heck out of them. I guess I was thinking more like kind of bait fish, like schooling bait fish, like Clay was mentioning, like needlefish when you get down in Florida. Cool. There. But are those, would those be more like a, along like a bluegill or an Asian carp or something? Or those aren't really bait fish, are they the needlefish? You know, it's something bass are really attracted to. So we mimic that bait fish deal with some kind of a, like a cutter worm on top or something like that. Swim worm, like swim, prop swim bait. worm, prop baits, anything like that. So yeah, it, uh, it, it becomes a, you know, here we are up in the Northland and we had yellow perch for dinner yeah well when we go to venice what are we going to eat down there we're going to eat shrimp and red crayfish fish. and redfish <laughs> and and blue crabs and oh things yeah like that. So fish that it, it's all geographic to whatever is readily available and that kind of leads to why you have a million different baits then well, i guess if we're going to tie it back together to be at a, at a media event if they all ate the same thing that was the same size in the same part of the country we would basically need baits. well you would need you wouldn't need hardly anything that's right. Right. but that's why you've got, like, how many different colors does a 5XD come in? Or a 1.5? A 1.5, uh, probably close to 50. Didn't you just de design, like, three or four colors for that last year? I did it several years ago. Okay. Yeah, I remember, yeah, I think it. we had you on the show right after you'd had a couple of those colors come out. But 50 colors in that, is that, prime? and a lot of that is bait fish related, wouldn't it be? It's bait fish related, and, and one color mat may not be good in Oklahoma where you are, mm -hmm. but it works well in Kentucky. Yeah, that same Kentucky Lake bait well, works well here, but it doesn't work well in Florida. So you get that geography where things look alike. Bait fish wise, Mark, what's more important to mimic the color or the size of the bait fish? If you were if you were to pick one of importance, if a guy was going to say, am I either going to have a bait that's the same size as what they're eating or the exact same color as what that bait fish is? I'm going to I'm going to answer this in two parts, man. I say five to ten percent of the time when you're in ultra gin clear water like we are here i mean you can see the bottom here really deep when it's gin clear a white river kind of clear color becomes a real it's got to look like it okay but i i will pick profile bigger than um color 90 percent of the time more important what the size, the size. of that bait the is. Size is yes. do you believe that Okay, you can go like as deep as this as you want to like survival. So like things that don't matter, you don't even know are there. We notice things that are threats to us. There's millions of things that we take in with our eyes. If we perceive it as either beneficial or a threat, we notice it. Otherwise, it's not there. It seems like fish do the same thing when they're eating. Like you have some fish like 
that if that's not what they're keyed on, like it doesn't even register with them. You understand? Do you agree with that? Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it does. You know, one of the things that happens in a fall is your thread fin go mm-hmm. to the back of the base. There's clouds of them, millions and millions and millions. Well, logic, if it looks like a bait fish, you throw something that looks like it. But what I do is I go completely opposite. I go and grab, telling a secret here, Matt, uh, for those fish that are blowing up, I'll take a four and a half inch rage grub, put it on a quarter ounce head. And in all those clouds, when those fish are busting bait, you'd think a top water would be good. Mm-hmm. I'll take that grub and throw it and rip it rip it right through those clouds of bait fish and that's the one bait fish that is one in a million different than the others that's the one that gets eaten same profile but different action to draw different the attention action and to it totally different color i use a pearl chartreuse most of the time huh and that's a fall deal and that's a fall deal and it's just so radically different that that's the thing that gets keyed on it's like when you're throwing a donkey rig and you've got two z2s on there that'll get the attention too i got you so it, it's got to be a radically different in the i was world. thinking the only other time that i could think of that i remember on oneida elite series tournament that jeff creek got second in remember he was fishing for schooling smallmouth with a tube with a tube swimming it at his depth level that was kind of the similar thing to that to that uh grub isn't yes. it like you've got a bait that's falling when everything's up on top and it looks different exactly. and it's the same profile it's as those the, odd, bait it's the odd man out it's the odd bait fish out that's the thing they'll get focused on that's good stuff uh we've done a lot of shows especially on like day four with frank he's kind of gone through each of the different uh each of the different bait fish but uh i mean with what you do for a living you have to target it put it together in a very short amount of time and and figure out like because you get up here there's like five or six different types of little bait fish that they could be eating yeah absolutely uh bait wise i kind of want to transition it and one of the things that i wanted to talk to uh mark about was uh spinner baits and you've been doing this uh a long time and i've got a i've got a neat piece uh that's not a btl piece it'll be out on the btl youtube channel with mark davis and it kind of started from that 95 season when he won the the bassmaster classic it's ironic both of you guys had you had a rogue that had a mark menendez signature on it years ago and Mark had that that crankbait that yeah. had the signature on it. We were both with Pradco way back in the way day, back in the day. Uh, and now you've been with Strike. Those of you have been with Striking forever now. Um, but uh, he was just talking about kind of the evolution of the the crankbait and the necessity for it. Um, and I wanted to get into uh, to spinner baits a little bit with that, but I also wanted to get into the jerkbait game with you for that yeah. because any bait that you have your name on for a long time is good. But we're also coming into that season, and I think we've, especially with forward-facing sonar, we've seen how effective a jerkbait can be year-round now. Like, mm-hmm. it's a, all, it's like a chatterbait now. Open, it's open the door. Um, would you agree that over the last three or four years, there's been a lot more jerkbait boxes that stay in the boat? Absolutely. I, I guarantee that's a fact. You know, a, a jerkbait is a bait that you can keep in the strike zone, and with forward-facing, you can learn exactly the cast to make See how that fish is relating to the piece of cover. Get it in front of him and keep it around him. It's not like a, a worm or a jig when you throw it over there that if you swim it through there, it falls out of the strike zone. So that bait is so key. Um, you know, the old jerk bait, we we once thought it was only good for cold water. Well, now we know we know better than that. There's a lot more applications because we can see out in front of us. But the, the modifications of jerk bait, it's funny. You know, now I find it hard to find a floating jerkbait. 
maybe a wooden one or something like that, but there are not that many jerk baits that are made to float. And years ago, when I won the Pickwick event, um, it was a pre-spawn deal in, in March, um, I had to make my floating jerk baits suspend. And I still like that floating jerk bait to suspend um, manually that I have to do versus some of the some of the new ones, like the 300 deep jerk bait from Strike Hand. It goes down, it goes down into a head down position. Mm -hmm. not, not vertical, but at a 45. That's an unnatural presentation in the water column. That's a gizzard shad when he's dying. You've seen him swimming. You've seen him in that downhead uh, deal. And that's what I was trying to mimic when I modified my jerk bait. Oh. And it ended up being the perfect match. And, it, and I brought the blue trophy home. So um, some areas of the world want that jerk bait flat. They want it perfectly horizontal. And that's not... I like non-natural. I like I like behaviors in the water. You know, I like to give Matt a hard time. You know, that, that that's having fun. Yeah. But that's not what people generally do. So yeah. that would get people's attention. Something that's not natural in the water column is exactly what that fish is looking for. They're, they're predators. They're like a coyote, a wolf, a bear, whatever. They hunt edges. And if something's out of kilter in that bait fish is not. The wolf eats the mule deer that's limping. That's the one. I want that bait fish to limp and with that head down. That's the bait fish limp. Okay. Um, so I guess that I, I guess I wanted to go a little bit into the history of the suspending jerk bait because you can go back hundreds of years to talk about minnow style baits sure. like the Lori Rapala, the AC Shiner. There were guys carving them out of sticks that you could technically call. But would you call those? Would you call like a, a like a floating Rapala more of a, a minnow bait than a jerk bait? Or, yes. Okay. Absolutely. Cause so because it, it is buoyant and it's designed to stay high in the water column. So like the first what you would call real jerk bait that you kind of experienced what would what would that be um it, it was either about the same time a bomber long a okay that was real popular um but i would i would say it was probably the rogue is the one that i really spent more time with okay and how did you end up with your name on the side of one like was that just a deal where they it was a color series that came out it was a six color series um nationally we had uh, a, a distributor it also had a color series that had about 10 on it. Uh, I actually had my name on a 6, 6A too uh, in that same color okay. series for that distributor. So uh, that's where it came from, and it all came from the win at Pickwick. All right, let's talk about the suspending thing. So a lot of times, and, and a lot of times you have a guy, like you have an old dude who's like a legend on that lake, and he's like, oh, you know, Jim showed me this and was sworn to secrecy, and then sure. he passed away and it went. But what was the genesis where they started saying, hey, I wish this suspended. Like, remember, you don't have forward-facing sonar. You don't know what's going on down there. Like, how did that work to where you were like, hey, we want this to not move, and they'll hit it when it doesn't move and when it's not floating? Well, I really think that this came from the Ozarks. Okay. I think I think Bull Shoals and Table Rock are the genesis of that suspending jerky. That's where I learned about it, um, people talking about it, people kind of hiding it. At regional tournaments that I would go to, and I'm like, oh, he put that up real quick. There's something special. Like, who was? Do you know any of these guys? Like, where they? I'd have to think, man. Was like I Block mean, at one of them back uh, in the day? You know, Randy was. Mark he, Tucker. Tucker used it. Um, Stacy King. King Stacy Stacy probably had as much to do with me learning about it as anything else. Um, I'm trying to think of just some of good those regional local guys. guys. Those guys, I mean, they were so technical with it mm -hmm. um and again remember we didn't have fluorocarbon we had monofilament 
Um, we really didn't fish a lot of light line. Uh, when I won Pickwick, that was with eight pound test line. I had to get that bait down deeper and using that eight pound line. Eight pound mono. Eight pound mono. Um, that got the bait down into the eight to 10 foot range instead of the five to six okay. foot range. And that was another big key. But, okay, so back to the modif modifying, like how the suspending, like, do you remember the first, like, how you learned I, how to tweak it and get the sucker to suspend? I, I, I did all of that myself. I knew about it. I came home from a Bassmaster event on my first season in 92. It was a pre-spawn tournament at Rayburn. And I drove all night to get home to fish a Redman tournament. I didn't practice. Which is was, a CFL. What it is now, yeah. I didn't practice. I um, I run down the lake. It's a pre-spawn deal. Going to catch them on stumps and crankbaits and rocks. And, well, I ran about 10 o'clock of that, and I didn't have a bite, Matt. And um, I looked down in the bottom of my boat, and there was a black and silver floating road. And I reached in a box and got a, some weight and put on it. Had never made a throw. And in 20 minutes of fishing, I caught enough to get a check in the tournament. And I'm wow. like, huh, there's something to this. Um, water clarity is a big deal with it. You've got to have clean water. It's a visible technique. And the water clarity on Kentucky Lake in the spring is generally not that good. But that spring, it was good. And I went on to win probably five or six tournaments that spring, honing it in, going back to those places that I always caught them on a crankbait. And then using that when I would see bait fish suspended, it dialed in. Then we had the 93 tournament on Kentucky Lake that uh, Norio ended up winning. Clun sets an all-time record with a six-fish limit of 32 pounds. And uh, I had a top top finish in that um, and had the opportunities to absolutely blow that thing away. Not knowing what I would know now, that's one I would love to go back and do differently. I never went to the fish, that the real winning fish, because of the weather. Caught 26 pounds the first day. So I'll save them. The next day was canceled. The next day was blowing twice as hard as this. And it you couldn't get to them. I could not get to them in that little 18 foot boat. So, um, but it's amazing how a jerk bait catches larger than average fish, particularly in a suspending mode. And then, so like I said, we're at a striking, we're at a striking loose riders event. Obviously, one of the guys who's made millions and millions of dollars on a jerk bait would be kvd and they've got a bunch of kvd jerk baits and also right. all this stuff that you're talking about you're talking lead strips suspending all that then the way these suspending deals is kevin and you and and whoever else is on the team that's good go in and say hey we want a bait that we don't have to spend an hour and a half right. doing this on and you're saying i want it to suspend in an aggressive fashion with its head down and all this then they take it back and come back and that's kind of how the genesis started because it it, it, or, I'm not saying specifically this, but that's how you develop all these new baits is based on that stuff that happened in the 80s, 90s, that you know, type of stuff. What, what's probably remarkable about it, Matt, it's probably the result of maybe five or six bites. Not going out and catching 100 fish, mm -hmm. but being able to make the cast, make the presentation, and get that bite where you thought you could get the bite, and then it be you know, an eight pounder mm -hmm. or something You're like this or is how soft. that fish hit it or how that fish had it going in its mouth head first or, or whatever it is. But the genesis of the product, getting the product to market is probably from a half a dozen key bites that you went, uh Oh, light bulb went on that made that fish bite, not the color, not the shape, not the length, but how that bait was sitting in the water. And that's how that suspension 
came into play. You mentioned that every once in a while, and it seems like sometimes it's it it happens a lot. Sometimes you mentioned that head first suspending jerk bait bite lines in it. You got the front treble hook and the craw that fish, and it's literally the it's tail. Like a cigar. Is, like, like explain a cigar. what that means. How you how that fish is eating it underwater. I've always would love to have seen the head the um, head first bite. Is that? when you know you're dialed on it when they eat it that exactly. way? Exactly. When okay. they've got it and they're eating it like a cigar head first, that means your presentation is right. You're in the right zone. You've got competition going on. You've got other fish in the area and your color is right. Of all the baits that I've fished over the years, of all the techniques, I think color is the ultimate importance in a jerk bait. A, because you're fishing in cleaner and clearer water. Mm -hmm. B, You've got your geographic differences on the bait fish, like we talked about earlier. You've got to match the hatch. Here, you really have to match the hatch. And the only other thing that I like in a jerk bait is how it's painted. The gradient from the top part of the bait and how that goes down the side. When that jerk bait pops and flashes, that belly flashes and it throws the flash. Sometimes that's chrome on a clear day. Okay. On a day like today on overcast, it's a white belly bait. White throws color better. Sometimes I'll blend the chartreuse in there a little bit. I'll overspray a little extra. Um, the painter at Strike King, Mike Russell, has been painting baits for me for probably 20 years now. And um, Mike and I spend hours in his shop trying to get those little gradients, trying to get those blends to get a flash out of a bait out of color. Okay. If you get flash out of a color, sometimes that is absolute the best magnetism ever. All right. A couple more jerkbait things that came to my mind. Uh, so run through, like I said, it is about to be jerk, jerk bait season, mm -hmm. about to be, you know, it's always jerk bait season now with, with, with but, forward but, but I mean the cast twitch, twitch, pause stuff. All right. Scenarios where you're getting bit, but it's not right. You need to change your color. You need to change your cadence. It needs to be slow falling or rising. Like, are you talking about how the fish are nipping it? If they're, how they're hooked, if you see them around it and they're not eating it, what are some signs that you're in the right area? but a small change could be the difference between five fish and 20 fish. You know, how they bite it is as much importance to me as possible. Um, I, if they're, if, if, if it comes in and they've got it by the side, mm -hmm. it comes from the side, it got it by the head. That's fine. When they're nipping it on the tail and I'm only getting the back hook in them, that's when I start changing. And you start with color. And I, and I start with color and then the next thing will be cadence. When I won the elite tournament there on Pickwick, it was a top 100 years ago, um, my pause was about 15 seconds. That's an eternity. That's an eternity. So one of the things that I found when fishing a suspending jerkbait in cold water, you are far more patient when you're sitting down in a chair like we are right now. Standing up and you're jerking the bait, it's hard to have a five count. So you David Fritz it. I, I don't sit down okay. so, so much that much, but I sit down on a pole. Okay. And 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 sit down and you are far more patient as a person. You know, we've got phone that we're working with here. We want instant gratification. Mm -hmm. And that's the way our lives are now. It's hurry, hurry, hurry. But with a jerk bait, you've got to be ultra patient. Uh, gray hair also helps to be that patient. But that's the main thing. Change that cadence. Sometimes it's a jerk pause. Sometimes it's a jerk, jerk, jerk. But the thing is, is experiment on every cast. Don't make that same cast until you dial in the exact cadence. Once you get that exact cadence, don't be too cocky about it. 
to realize that that may change in an hour. That might not be the deal for the day or the week or the month. That may only be for the bite window that's opening. So you've really got to pay attention on how that fish gets it to lengthen that pause and shorten that pause. And how hard you jerk the bait is a big, big issue. I remember the 2013 classic, Hank Cherry and Ike and them, they were feathering it. Their jerk bait. It wasn't a, they were just using a tip and just barely tapping. Quit, just, tap, just tapping. tapping. And I prefer that as to a jerk. And my general rule for that, Matt, is the colder the water, the softer the jerk, the mm -hmm. longer the pause. And um, what you're basically doing is you've got that jerk bait suspended over a piece of cover or a piece of structure, generally a long mm -hmm. point. And it's kind of like a cat. You ever taken a rod and reel and played with a cat? Yeah, without a hook. Without yeah. a hook. No, it's fun. It's called catfishing. Yeah. You hook them. Anyway, you you see your kitty, you throw your jig over there, and the kitty crouches down, and you yeah. move it a little bit, and the cat comes a little closer, and you move it a little bit. That's what you're doing with the bass. You're moving those fish up towards you. Each time that bait moves, he moves a little closer. You move it a little bit, and he gets a little closer. And that's generally in water temperatures below 42 or 43 degrees. Um, as we get up to 45 to 50, you can snap it a little longer, snap it a little harder. Um, Zona and I filmed a show at Lake X jerking, and he's snatching it hard mm -hmm. in that 40-degree water. We were fishing on 40-degree water. He also fishes with KVD a lot. Well, that that's guy, true. That guy blisters in your bait regardless. It and, could be ice fishing. And, and, be... and the cool thing about that was Zona had to get his hands in that 40-degree water to help me <laughs> land the big ones that I caught. And because uh, I was finessing. just barely tapping it, I got you. he caught some doing it too. But yeah. but it was it was a distinctive difference. Uh, it was a, it was a three to one average on on how many bites you got. All right, put a bow on the jerk bait discussion because you could go on for hours uh, on it if it. you were to pick it's like my favorite. just to pick two jerk baits in your opinion. Uh, obviously, there's some specialty, but day in and day out, there's one that, there's some that you can tie on. Just a model and a color that if guys wanted to pick up a half dozen. That you would um, say, you know what, you're probably you're probably going to get some bites on this. Yeah, the 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 300 deep, the Strike King 300 deep, in a summer sexy pattern, okay. is universal. It is. It's got that color variance, that gradient. It flashes well. It dives deep. It gets in that head down, and um, it's ready to go in a box. Eight pound test line when it's cold, and the bait gets down nine, ten, eleven, twelve feet. Okay. Um, so that's one. That would be one. Um, you know, the 300 is an awfully good one in multiple different colors, but uh, the chrome IU color. Really? It's a silver chrome. It has the IU painted on the back, and when it flashes, it's about a half gold flash and a half silver flash. So and that pulse is a pretty good one right there. That's one I like to just go down the bank fast with. That's the one I forward face with an awful lot, a 300 in a chrome IU. Okay. Uh, I did want to mention this before. So, Poche wins uh, the last open on an aluminum boat. Yeah. Um, and for some reason, there's controversy. Passed everything. He had a great job on the show, did a great job. Right. And a lot of people uh, talked about back in the day, your... I had the same thing happen to me. Your Lake Darnell win. Uh, but that was back before 
you know, you could, you guys could switch boats. I remember that wasn't that around the time like Snowden was using like his pro style in a deep V when they yeah, went up, up north. north. Yeah, number of guys, Kennedy guys would all would all throw uh, or use aluminums in certain scenarios. We could but at that time. did that was that kind of a throwback for you when you heard about how Keith didn't bring back some memories it, it of did, that Darnell? And, and I had lots of texts and lots of mm-hmm. people calling me, go, "Hey, they did you? They did Pochet the same way they did you?" And um, you know, we had a day off on the third day when I get back there the cuts full of rocks that don't have any moss on them at all. I picked the first one out of the way to get in. And I'm like, heck, this is a new oh, rock. Wait a second. You had the same thing happen with the rocks identical. with you. At, how did I not remember this? I did. Did you talk about it? At the I time? talked Was about it. Was it a big deal then? Um, you know, the locals just didn't want us in there. It's their little hidey hole. And I did um, not realize that uh, a buddy of mine went down there last, this past spring. And you can actually put a boat in, in off the bank. Okay. And um, he got a lot of history on that when he backs in one of my old skeeters to go back there and fish off the bank. And the locals back there and goes, how'd you know about this? He said, well, Menendez is a buddy of mine. And he went off that, oh, my God, he showed the world the whole nine mm-hmm. yards. And uh, The story that came back to me is that this local school teacher is the one that went in there and put the rocks. So it's come back to me about four different ways to a local school teacher uh, that did all that up there. Just didn't want you back Just there. didn't want us back there. That's interesting. What are your thoughts on the the off road and using all that still? Are you, I mean, are, would you be fine with with one boat? You pick it if you want the aluminum, like it is currently on the on the Elite Series, or do you think you should be able to go back to if you want to use an aluminum? If you want to use a deep V, it's a tool just like your rod and reel and a lure. And if you want to change it, it's it's it is what it is. I think what has happened with rules, Matt. Um, the boat issue, the only having one lure on a line issue. Um, these are rules that have evolved during my time period. It has really stymied the creativity of an angler. Um, if you want to go cut down trees and if you're doing it all within legal bounds, mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with it. I would like to go back to that. I think that we've lost creativity as anglers because we can't experiment. Um, you know, beforehand, when drop shots first came out, I'm over at Table Rock and I've got two baits on there. I've got a crayfish bait on the bottom. I got another worm up here three feet above it and a shad bait. And it'd take me about 15 minutes which color I needed to go with. Mm-hmm. They're eating shad today or they're eating crayfish. Have a great day. Um, I would like to see us go back to that creativity. Forward facing, um, you know, Active Target has helped a bunch in getting um, some of that creativity and changing something new. Um, the one thing I am interested in seeing in 20 years, if I'm around that long, um, is how many new injuries are there going to be in bass fishing from forward facing? How many neck injuries are we going to have from people looking down the whole time? I would like to take this opportunity to, uh, to mention the newest sponsor of, uh, BTL, which is beat down outdoors, which features the beat down shorty, which is on my boat, which allows you to extend your graph up to 36 inches off of the ground. That's Therefore, cool. relieviating back and neck injuries, Mark, now back go. to our regularly scheduled well, program. My, 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 <laughs> my new, my new, uh, uh, sponsor is, uh, Dr. David Wooten chiropractic services <laughs> in, uh, Germantown, Tennessee. So, um, it, it, it it's neat, you know, GPS robbed mm-hmm. from us. It robbed from us. It robbed the ability of an angler to use triangulation to be close. I could be roaring down Kentucky Lake, kill the motor, look at my triangulations and make one cast in the middle of the lake and hit that stop. 
That stump has now got a waypoint on it. There my were boat. like three people that could do that. You could run down through there, hit the stump on the first cast, catch him, and go on. Now I have to pull up, go, yeah, there's that waypoint, and I got to fish around mm-hmm. to do that. So it's going to be interesting. GPS took that away. Was there controversy when GPS came out? You mentioned 33 uh, years of doing this. 33 years ago, was there GPS? Or was there a year where all of a sudden someone was like, hey, look at this. I can go to this spot again now. That's and, the way it evolved. Okay. Was there was there controversy in that? Were there meetings at Bass? Was there anyone going, hey? No. Hey, what what's up with this GPS? Now these spots, you can go right back to the same spot. Now the skill of the triangulation and all that and then, is gone. And then the only thing that evolved from that was like, hey, Matt, let me have your waypoints yeah. on um, – Grand Lake, and then that guy was spending less time, he was spending more time fishing than looking. But was right. there the same thing as the forward-facing sonar when the when the GPS no, and the waypoints came out? Not at all. It did not. It did not do that. That's um, surprising to me. It, it it just didn't do that. It was more of it was more of like a carnival type atmosphere. Like, oh, hey, this is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. This could really help. This this could cut down the look. Yeah. Um, it was great in navigation. Um, it is still not radar. So yeah. don't use your GPS and run wide open in the fog. It's common sense. Don't do that. Um, it, it was just a novelty. But now with forward facing, um, it, it's different. I got my units early this year. Uh, went to Lake X to play with them. You know, you know, tweak just right. And I noticed I was fighting boat position versus making the cast mm-hmm. at, at the fish. So I pull up on the dam and there's a there's a point that comes off the dam at the lake and there's always a school of dogs there. They're always five to six pounds, cold water. I look over there with, oh, there they are. And I made the 45 degree cast off that point and they didn't eat it, but they're all up around it on the screen. They're under it. I'm looking at them and I realized my cast actually had become a curly cue because I had to let the boat float. And I realized then the skills of the geometry of fishing are no longer necessary. I don't have to pull up on that thing and quarter that bait across the cover. I, I, all I really have to do now is go out there, drop the troll, look around and go, oh, they're over there. Troll over there and fish for them now. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. It, I, I, that's one of the skills that I had to learn as an angler was boat position to be the most efficient. Now that skill is less important when I just go over there and fish. I just throw the cast over there because i see the dot and mm-hmm. i wind him in uh i don't like that because there's an art to fishing um did you ever see the movie a river runs through it oh yeah you know brad yep. pitt fly yep. i saw it i didn't i didn't get the movie but the art and the beauty of fishing to me is the thought process and building it and getting the position and building the pattern now i don't have to do that now I just drop trolling and go look around oh there's one got him oh there's one over there and got him but it is going to build new skills where it has taken away some skills right. it will build new skills okay so let me let me counter you with this so okay. i think i agree that that is a, an an art that is the, the boat i mean you i've did articles for years and years and years on the importance of boat positioning sure now you don't hear that but i also think that the new art that is developed is reading a fish's behavior reading how they're positioned in the water column reading how they're reacting to the bait reading uh, how you that's can, nothing new. How you can trigger a bite, but but it is with the with the. It's with a video the game now. That's what I did at the end of monofilament. I was reading how that fish acted, how the fish bit it next to the piece of cover. When I felt the cover, 
uh, how he eats the jerk bait, how he eats the crankbait. I'm doing all of that, but I'm doing it with an I Dream of Genie wand out there, putting the bait out there like that. So it was a slower process. Now you're doing it in real time. That's the difference. So then why isn't everyone created equal on it? Why do you still see some guys that are incredibly good at it? If everybody, when there's guys that are on the, I'm not, I'm just playing devil's advocate sure, here. Sure. When there's everybody on the same level, why do you see a, a Patrick Walters that takes it to the next level or a Jacob Wheeler that takes it to the next level to where everyone's got it, they're looking at it, but they're still dominant on it. There has to be some skill involved in that then, doesn't there? There is skill involved. And then you have to take that skill and look at it in terms of how available your mind is to do that. I had a conversation with Rick Clun a year or so ago, and I said, this was this was actually after uh, we finished first and third at the the St. John's River catching those mm -hmm. giants down there. That was a good derby. I, oh, it was a great derby. And <laughs> that was it's an kind of awesome cool derby. when when you when your when your hero is just across the river from you. And you're going up the banks at the same time across the mm -hmm. river. And you're like, oh, man, this is so cool. That's my man there. Um, I, I can tell a good joke about him, but I won't. Um, but I asked Rick, I said, why is it that as anglers, here we are old and gray and we've got eons of experience that we're not as willing to change? We've got 10,000 ways that we catch these fish that we're comfortable with. Now we've got a new one given to us and we're kind of reluctant to adapt the new technology a couple of good ass whippings later on yeah. tournaments you're kind of like mm, i'm fixing to be very able to use this um and, and that's the way it's developed with me and he said because we're not willing to change fishermen like success we like to replicate success and when we get very comfortable with a technique a place um a lake a river system or whatever it is we don't like to change we're creatures of habit and sometimes it takes open mind younger people will open their mind quicker than us old farts will that's that's what rick's answer was and i totally believe that i totally believe it. not that i don't use it not that i don't mm -hmm. catch them with active target uh forward facing um i've caught several with it had some good tournaments this last year with it um in oddball places and, you know Lake Fork, I was finding bedfish with it out in six and seven feet of water. That's kind of in cool. May That's when, the, cool. when bed fishing should have been over. Yeah. I'm catching betters off of specific trees that I can see them on. Yeah, that's kind of cool. That's kind of like, hey, how, look, there's one. <laughs> Got him, seven pounder. <laughs> um, it, it doesn't take long to figure it out like that. Um, you know, Cody Huff has probably won as much money regionally on, on the White River chain as anybody um little john garrett's a buddy of mine he's a he just top 10 he's scoping a at Hartwell. dangerous with anything he does mm -hmm. but cody's the one that really turned him on cody's the one that is educated bait and with swim bait and that clear yeah. deep water and um, it's opened up a whole new world what i am worried about is those fish that suspended out there deep have had refuge what's this going to do to the fishery if we start plucking some of these older fish, these bigger genetic sized fish out that don't get a chance to rest, that's that's going to be a, a unique thing. Do you to not think too. nature will will? Oh, I'm sure she correct will. the course, and they'll end up there'll be more fish inaccessible under docks now instead of roaming out open water. They'll be very well could man. It, I mean, she does a great job of throwing mm -hmm. the the curveballs there. 
um, that protect those fish. Pressure moves fish. Mm -hmm. uh, pressure moves deer. Pressure moves any kind of game animal. Um, so yeah, it, it, that it may change. The one thing I can say, when I perfected that jerk bait on Kentucky Lake, um, one of my mentors was still alive then, and I said, "We're going to whack them. We're going to whack them for a long time doing this." And once it got get caught on, about five or six years later, got real tough to catch them on a jerk bait. Yeah, it got real tough. He says, "Everything cycles. Everything in life cycles. So does a so does a jerk bait. Bill so, bottom pants. So well that may not." <laughs> But, uh, but, it is, know, it is. Everything cycles. And, 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 you know, a spinnerbait is one of those that yep. is in a cycle as well. We're going to have to save that for another show. I okay. know I was going to mention to get in it, but we got to we'll get We're going to talk with Mark Davis. I wasn't planning on going down the forward facing route, but I mean, like I said, you've got a topic? lot of experience uh, through, uh, through the changes that have happened with bass fishing and, and technology uh, and still very competitive at the top level. So, uh, uh, that's interesting. Well, it is. It is. It seems but, like you're, you're definitely not opposed to it. You're I'm, definitely utilize it. You know that it needs to be part of your arsenal, but yes. you're not a hundred percent. Well, I mean, is that you, kind of the, the, are you going to go to the golf course and not have a, a pitching wedge? You no, can I mean, use yeah, a, you you can use a nine iron, mm -hmm. but it's a heck of a lot to get out of the sand mm -hmm. with a pitching wedge. You're, you're cautious about it. I, I'm not necessarily no? cautious about it. Um, I need more experience. Okay. I need more. I need more situations where I was able to figure out here, there, and mm -hmm. yonder. You know what you need to do, Mark? You need What's to go it? crappie fishing a lot this winter and use it. Probably so. No, and, and I'm probably. And I've got I some buddies so. that are absolutely uh, dirt man. If you're listening, we're going crappie fishing on Kentucky Lake out of Paris Landing. He fishes professional. Uh, Brad Eshery, he fished mm -hmm. professional stuff with striking. He spent as much time this winter targeting. He's deadly with it. Targeting crappie with the crappie jig on on your forward facing sonar. These guys can weigh them out there before they catch them. Oh, that's a two and three quarters. Yeah. Oh, two thirteen. Oh, I don't want that one. That's a pound seven. That's how crazy. Then when is. you're trying to put it on a brush pile, it's nice because you're trying to put it on a thirteen inch fish. Now you can just and now you could. It's it's a it's a it's a whole other world. But. It is. It's it's neat and uh, I. I still do love it when we go to an elite series tournament and conditions are such and and the and the uh, fishing is such that it's an actual fishing derby. I really get excited for those. I think I've got an advantage over these young whippersnappers that are so good with forward facing. Is all they do is look down. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's not the it's not the one hundred percent useful deal, but it it does have its game. But I like a, I like a fishing derby every now and then. Red River Open. You know where I used it. I hit like three stumps the whole time. I just set it at 40 foot. And if there was, I could see the stumps. And when I didn't look at it, I fell in the lake. Like I hit the stumps and fell in. So, so I was using, I was using it to save my trolling motor. Yeah, absolutely. You could, you'd see the, you'd be like, Oh, there's a hundred year old rock cypress tree, rock, cypress tree yeah. right there and go around it. It saved me from hitting so many of those interesting. things. Well, that's, that's pretty interesting. All right. Mark, thank you for jumping on Striking Lose Riders Conference here in, is it upstate Michigan? Is there a, uh, it, it's not, this is not, this is not the Upper Peninsula. You, this is not Youpers, what yes. they call that, but what do they call these people up here? Well, these, Northerners. Everyone's been super nice. Northerners. 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 Northern, Northern uh, Michiganders are fine people. They're all outdoorsmen. They've got a beautiful place to play. If you're looking for a wonderful vacation, I highly recommend it up here. Uh, somewhere near the Traverse City area, yeah. Burt, Mullet, all these There's lakes up here. There are just so many of them. It's beautiful. 
Um, wish I had my wife up here with me yeah. right now. Mark, longtime friend of BTL. I know you've jumped on over the years. You've done live content. You come on. You're a regular guest. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much for jumping on. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, Mark Davis should be right around the corner. And uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will have another legend in the sport. And that will be uh, Mark Davis. So BTL on a Wednesday. It is Wednesday, right? I have no idea. I think it's Wednesday. BTL on a Wednesday, live, on location uh, from the Striking Loose Riders Conference in Michigan. We'll be back right after this. Your key to better fishing this season is Elite FS. Now available at a new lower price. Get Elite FS9 today for $9.99. And we'll throw in a CMAP reveal chart. Our premium mapping solution for free. Elite FS works with all state-of-the-art Lorenz sonar, from chirp, side-scan, and down-scan imaging with fish reveal to high-resolution active target live sonar. Elite FS9 and CMAP reveal. Offer ends August 31st. The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler, design, function, and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. Based on the soft touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96 inch wide body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot 7 inches in length. Industry leading design coupled with tournament winning performance. The Puma STS from Basscat. Feel the rush. When you're catching fish for a living, you can't let a little cold, rain, heat, humidity, or anything else get in the way of a payday. I wear APCO. Any fish, any water. The KVD 100 Jerkbait. 15 different colors. A perfect combination of roll, wiggle, and flash. Increased castability. 3D eyes. Premium black nickel hooks. KVD. Tie one on. Striking lures. Are All you right, looking to install back. your own fishing electronics? Well, the Bass Tank is here to help you. The solution is the Bass Tank Power Harness. It takes the guesswork out of installation. No more voltage issues or interference. Designed by an engineer so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage. Installation done right with the help of the Bass Tank Power Harness. You can feel confident knowing that your installation was done right. The Bass Tank Power Harness. Give us a call or order yours today at thebasstank.com. All right, welcome back. BTL on a Wednesday at the Striking Riders Conference, Striking Lose Riders Conference, and uh, was not really planning on going there with Mark Menendez. Uh, Mark Davis was around the corner sitting on a porch, and like I said to Mark, I said, uh, not the first time you spend some time sitting on a porch. Absolutely not. That's good for the soul. You bet. <laughs> but was not really planning on going into, uh, we had a really good discussion about the uh, forward-facing sonar and all that stuff and where it goes. Two veteran guys. I know Mark had been doing it for 33 years. Do you have it on your boat? I do. What are your thoughts I've on had, it? I've had it quite you a while. Are you tired of talking about it? Or what are your... No, you know, it, it's... Uh... 
I've said all along, you know, this is, gosh, I've been doing this a long time for a living. So you have to remain and always be a student of the sport, you know. So when something new comes along, you have to embrace it. You've got to learn it. To remain competitive out here, uh, you've got to you, you you've got to do it, you mm-hmm. know. And, it, and it's and it's always ever changing. Uh, but yeah, Ford facing Sonar, I run Lawrence, and we call it Active Target, and uh, it, it helps me catch a lot of fish. What are some of the other changes over the years that you've had to embrace that at the time it was like, boy, this is new, this is really going to change things, and now it's just standard? Unfortunately for me, um, I resist change. So That's what Mark talked about. He said fishermen in general always resist change. You resist change. Um, mapping was a big deal, GPS mapping, though it was it, – made it so convenient you know i grew up in the days of a of a flasher and a paper map and and i had that game down as far as uh, being able to visualize where i was fishing learn it with a flasher and then being able to line you know line up and uh triangulate and do all those things to to, to get on uh you know pieces of structure in open water so when the mapping came along it was kind of a bummer for me you know I, because now the stuff that it took me years to learn suddenly you know a guy buys a unit and and, and sticks a chip in it and it shows all that stuff mm-hmm. exactly how it was. so that was a that was a bummer I, I did not like that yeah you know that was that was a, an advantage i had over a lot of other anglers that was then it was taken away from me and uh not so much for forward facing that's a little different you know but that that mapping thing. It remember hurt me. a year or a tournament where you like rolled up or went somewhere where you were like, "I'm gonna," you know, and then you're like, "Holy cow!" There's people on all well, this stuff. Yeah, it, it, I don't remember a tournament or a year, but I just know that uh, I had a lot of little things. And then it was then and then so here then here here was the game. So maps got better and better, but at first there was a lot of those little things that weren't on the chip. So you could still find little things that didn't show on the chip, but and then and then they kept doing more surveys, and the surveys got better, and and the maps got better, and the chips got better, and then and now to where occasionally you'll still find something that's not on the chip, but by and large it's all there now, and, and you know all you do is plug it in, and you can just drive right to it. Oh, this is where Mark's been catching them fish for all these years. I. You know, I know he was fishing something out here. Look, there's a little, there's a little hump out here, and this little hump's got a little, it's it's got a hard, you know, a fast breaking drop here on this on the south side of it. And that's where these fish are. I can see them out here on my on my unit. So that was a bummer for me when yeah. when that came about. But uh, you know, hey, it, it's going to continue, and they're working on things right now. So so. Let me say this so everyone understands how how the how how the business side of this stuff works. As long as electronics come, I'm talking about all of them. Mm-hmm. I'm, ta- I'm talking about all of them, as a, as a whole. Garmin, Rance, Humberg, whoever else is making. As long as their sales are good with what they're producing at this time, we're not going to bring out anything new. The new will come in time when everyone, you know, all the slots are filled 
and everyone's bought what we've got now. Now we're going to bring out something new. And I, I, I wish I knew exactly what that's going to be, but I can tell you the day will come where you will sit behind the console of your Bass Cat boat. You will look at a screen and it will show you from the cockpit, you're going to see everything. You're going. You're not going to have to run up there and drop your trolling motor in the water. You're going to look at it in real time, and, and you're going to look at a vast area in real time from the from the steering wheel. And that that's that'll be the next deal that comes along. It's it's not you know like I said they're not gonna they're not gonna force it out there because right now they're they're they can't make them fast enough. They're producing units and in boats are the same way. They're making all the boats that they can that they can possibly make, and people are buying them. So, you know, when things slow down, everyone gets a Ford imaging, and that's kind of gets stale. Then there'll be something else coming on, and that's just the way it is. It's that way in the automotive industry. It's that way in, in a lot of industries. So, who knows what we're going to have next? That's a lot to think about. But yeah, I mean, that's what I'm where, doing where right does it now. Go? Is yeah, where does it, where does it go from that. here? But I, I can tell you that the day will come. In, in the in the in the future i don't know how far off it's going to be but you'll sit behind your steering wheel and you'll idle around and you'll see everything and you'll waypoint it as you look at it and then you'll go up there and you'll drop the total motor down and you'll start fishing so imagine pulling into a creek and turning on a unit and it's showing you you know a broad spectrum view of what's in front of you. you see every brush pile every rock pile ever you're going to see fish you're going to see bait fish you're going to see everything as you idle now you say well we got that now with, with, with side scan you do somewhat but what i'm talking about is going to shoot in front of you it's going to shoot out the sides and it's going to show you everything in front of you as you go and in crystal clear clarity and that's coming Okay, that's kind of scary, huh? Yeah, I mean it's not scary. No, you, but I you, mean, you, if you, 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 know heard... what, you know what I worry about, Matt? I worry about our resources holding up. I'm afraid that that even and I'm already seeing not and I'm not just talking about bass fishing. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about fishing in general. I'm talking about crappie fishing and all kinds of fish. It it, it is the learning curve now is 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 such it's so short then fish can't hide anymore. I mean, we're finding fish and we can stay on top of it. We can chase them around. You could never do that with old technology. I mean, you can actually target a fish and you can chase him with the trolling motor and look at him and throw at him until you make him bite. And you think about that. Right. We've never able to do that before unless you can use in shallow water and you can actually see him with your eyes. Yeah. So, you know. Okay. Let me ask you this. This is good, good stuff because I, I, I like these conversations, yeah. Mark. So you're you're a young, up and coming angler. You have the resources, regardless of how you got them. Maybe you had a paper route and you work at a bakery and you do yard. You have the resources. Right. You got the stuff. Right. There's a hundred other people, young guys, that have the stuff. You talk about the short learning curve. You talk about it. How does someone that is that is coming up now set themselves apart how do they make it without it then becoming luck if you're making the process easier do you see what i'm saying 
like well, how do you still differ, differentiate the skill and the talent and rise to that 1% and make it onto the, the BPT or the Bassmaster Elite Series if this stuff is is leveling, for lack of a better term, the playing yeah. field? Yeah, it, 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 it levels the playing field to some, to some extent, but still there is no substitution for hard work. You know, hard work is still going to get you there and keep you ahead of your competition. And the guys that work the hardest, though you've got the tools and everyone's got the tools, uh, there, there's you, you've still got to put the time in and the work in, the time on the water. It, there's no substitution for that still today. Yes, it's better, but you still got to know how to use that stuff. You can have the greatest instrument, the greatest tool in the world, but the guy that's the best and has the most uh, – experience and, and expertise at using it. And the only way you get that is that hard work and that time on the water. So there's still not a shortcut to that end of it, but the tools are available where if a guy does put in the time and does do his homework and, 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 and the hard work, uh, you can make it pay off for you. All right. That's a great transition because I wanted to talk about you getting into this game. And uh, when we were sitting in the truck down at the lake before it started raining, earlier today, you just kind of casually mentioned that you started guiding when you were 14. Mm -hmm. And I had no clue that you could legally guide when you were that age. But well, I don't know <laughs> if it's legal or not. You know, I don't know that there was any rules about it. No, I yeah, the story was um, my dad had a great dad, and he believed that, uh, you know, if you kept a kid, I won't shift on it here. Okay. If you kept a kid you know, in the outdoors, hunting and fishing, that, you know, that he'd stay out of trouble. And and that holds true today. So I was uh, always on the water. Uh, every chance I, I, I had, I was, I was fishing. So one day I'm uh, I'm actually in there filleting crappie, you know. I'm in here for Lake Washington. Uh, or Lake Hamilton. Lake Hamilton. Lake Hamilton. Okay. And uh, the, this guy, his name was Ron Wagers, an older guy. And he guided a lot, and uh, uh, he he didn't know I was 14 years old. You know, I was this big old ugly kid. You know, he probably figured I was older than that. But I was out there all the time, and and he said, "Mark, you ever thought about doing any guiding?" You know, and I thought, "Yeah, you know." I said, yeah, "I guess I've thought about it." And he said, "Well, well, would you would you be willing to give it?" If he was needing someone to take some trips, and uh, I said, "Yeah, I guess I could. I'd, I'd do that." I didn't know what what it paid. Mm -hmm. Nothing. He said. Well, this was in the 70s, so he said, yeah, you get, you'll, you'll make, uh, on a half-day trip, he says, you'll make uh, $40. And I thought, man, $40, that sounded pretty good in your 14 years old. <laughs> and $40 went a long ways in those days, so, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll do that. So I meet this little couple, and uh, they want to go crappie fishing. I took them fishing, and we had a great morning, caught a lot of crappie, and, and I, I filleted their fish for them, and... Uh, and he, he comes up and he, and he hands me this cash, you know, and I, and I, I hand him this fish and we shake hands and whatnot. And I look in my hand and he's, he's, he's giving me, he's giving me four $20 bills. And I said, Oh, sir, you, you've overpaid me. You know, it's only $40. Oh, he said, son, that's your tip. I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm in love with this deal. You know, I'm, I had $80, you know, and that 14 years old, that probably ruined me. 
for life. <laughs> Did you know anything about tournaments at that point? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. so even so, when yeah. you were a kid, you knew about oh, the. Yeah, earth. Okay, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, okay. I knew about tournaments. In in in, in fact, uh, and this is a whole another big story we we'll talk about sometime. You know, Alan Ranson. You know, that was a strike king forever. Okay. All right. So Alan and I, Alan, a little older than I am. We grew up same town. Alan was, uh, so I was uh, about the same time. I was about 13 or 14. Alan was uh, 15 or 16. He lived out there on the lake. He had a boat. His dad did. We started fishing tournaments and, uh, you know, a little jackpot yep. tournaments. So, and, and I'll tell you this quick little story. So here was my introduction to tournaments. And this is not a good story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. <laughs> not a good story. Not a good story at all. And I'm sure this stuff's going on. But it, so my first, I, yeah, I knew what a bass tournament was. I, I grew up in Hot Springs, Arkansas. The right. first, you know, Bobby Murray was from Hot Springs. Yeah. He won the first Bassmasters Classic. I, and he opened, I remember he won $10,000 in 1971. So do the math. What was I, you know, I would have been, what, eight years old? Young and I, I, was, I was like eight years old. He won the first Bassmasters Classic. It was a big deal. And uh, he, op- he used that money. And he opened a tackle store. I remember all this. So I, I had a realization at a very young age about tournament fishing. But my first tournament experience, I wasn't in the tournament. So I was like 12 years old. Now think about this. I was 12 years old. The kids and 12 years old don't do the things I did when I was 12. You're less than two years away from guiding full time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 12 years old. And, and I didn't have this dad had bought this bass boat and i had a little three and a half horse Evanrude, one of the old time outboards that you poured the gas in the top you know it was all contained so i would rent a boat i would rent a boat and put my little three and a half horse on and i had mm. a paddle and i had some of those little screwed on lights you know the little run lights that you just like clamp on and i had those so and i, I love night fishing in the summertime we'd go night fishing so 12 years old, three and a half horse, rented boat, and I'd have like two rods, and you know, we had nothing. I mean, we, we we would have like five plastic worms between us, me and my buddy. You know, we'd have five, and we're melting them together with you know, trying to glue them and light them cigarette lighters, you know, and glue them together, and we just had a, a few hooks and a few mm-hmm. sinkers, and so we're out there fishing and, and having a great night. You know, we had... Uh, we were keeping fit. We didn't know any better in those days. We kept them. And I had like a six pounder and a four pounder and a couple of two pounders on a rope tied to the boat. And we're fishing along and they didn't have a trolling motor. So I sat in the front and we call it sculling. And you take a little paddle and you just, you just, you know, you paddle along, you, you, you know, you're just change yeah, the point yeah, of the nose. Yeah, yeah. You just kind of keep okay. the boat before you can fish and, you paddle a little bit and you hope the wind's not blowing. Then you make a cast and you fish and you paddle a little bit and you fish. And we're just fishing down this rocky, steep rocky bank. It's a beautiful moonlit night and I see a boat. Of course, we're impressed with these bass boats, you know. Yeah. These bass boats coming. He's meeting us on this bank. And it's dark, but the moon's shining. You can see. And this guy in this boat, he gets up there to us and uh, he looks down. He can see those fish in the water. I, I didn't know. We, I don't. I don't know this guy. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think we're out there fishing. He said, "We, hey boys, I see y'all got a some nice bass there on that springer." I said, "Oh yes, sir. we we caught four. He said, "Yeah." He's that one's a big one. 
and I held him up, you know, showed him a tune on the rope. And, oh, yeah. He said, you, you, you boys wouldn't, you might know where I'm going with the story. He said, he said, you boys wouldn't want to sell those fish, would you? I said, well, no, sir. But we would trade them for some hooks, some sinkers, and some worms. Oh, he said, that's no problem. I've got lots of that stuff. So he just, remember he had one of those old silver troll trolling motors. I know the listeners probably don't know what that old timers might know silver troll. I remember the silver troll trolling motor on his boat, so in the hand, hand control. And so he pulls alongside and uh, he, he just starts giving me worms. And I wanted black fire tail, black fire tail, eight inch black fire tail worms. He gave me a bunch of those and packages of eagle claw hooks and some, some slip sinkers and i was so happy to have, i mean that was like you could fish for another two I, months now oh, it was like a pot of gold i mean we were so happy to have this stuff and i just i was so excited i just i just cut the rope with with my knife and just hand him rope and here to here take them take them he and he takes the fish and puts them in his line well, i don't think anything <laughs> about it you know and he go he starts away and he's hey boys we might weigh these weigh these fish in a little derby and i'm like oh Oh, we were, my, my friend and I were just like, oh, it just made us sick. Like, oh, this guy's going to cheat with these fish. So I had a curfew. Had to be in off the water. Had to be in off the water at, at midnight. And that and there was a guy there at the at the, at the, uh, at the old landing that lived there that kind of watched out mm-hmm. for us kids. So midnight, back into the end of the in the dock we would come, you know, and he'd always come down there and he had an old black lab dog. I'll never forget. And we were still upset about this deal. And, uh, and I remember the guy's name. I won't mention it, but I remember the guy's name and I tell him the guy's name. He didn't know him, but he said, well, son, he said, let me tell you something. He said, it's seven 15 on AM radio. They'll have the results of that tournament. And we'll we'll listen for that name. And we listened to the radio. He came down. There was an old. See, when I was a kid, now I'm going off. And, let me chase a rabbit here for just a minute. When I would fish, we would fish till midnight in our in our rented boat. And then we would come. Then there was a fishing dock, and you paid a buck, one dollar a night, and, and you could. You, and they had bunk beds and a coke machine, and it was all lit up, and you could fish down there. This was on you know fresh water right there mm-hmm. on Lake Hamilton. So. We go, you know, we check in with this guy, and then I guess he'd, you know, if, if we didn't come in, he would call my dad. Right. I'm sure that was the arrangement, but we check in with him, and we'd go to the dock. He said, I'll be down at the dock in the morning with my truck, and we'll listen. The guy, when they when they announced the results of the tournament, the guy's name was never mentioned. He couldn't even catch enough fish. With, with us, we, gave him, we gave him 14 pounds of bass, and he still... He still couldn't place in the in the money. Oh my god! So that was my kind of my introduction. introduction. Yeah, and I'm thinking, God, these these guys are just a bunch of cheaters, you know. And a few years later, I was fishing at Allen Ranch, and I started fishing those same tournaments. But uh, that was my earliest tournament, you know, when I started out. And the first thing, you know, this guys, you know, we're trading this worms for fish away, and I'm sure that stuff had, had. I don't think it goes on much anymore, but. It, it, it did that time but uh that's wild yeah that is wild but yeah back to the guide thing probably that guide trip at 14 and getting a 40 dollar tip it 
it it it lit a fire in me. It's crazy to think yeah. like you get a different couple. Yeah. You don't enjoy don't it. Enjoy you it. don't get I a could have went a whole different direction. It could have went a whole different And then it could have been like, holy cow, this is stressful and yeah. they weren't happy. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah. Never, I don't ever want to do that again. But you know, I loved it. And uh of course the monetary part of it was nice at 14 years old. And 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 I started guiding and when I got out of high school, uh you know, I didn't play football. I mean, I played football in high school, but I didn't want to play college ball. I, I started guiding full time and, and course fishing tournaments and, uh, at 21. So not, you know, that's not very many years later, 21 years old, I, I, I get on tour and I've, I've been out there ever since. So. I guess I didn't realize that you were. Yeah. I started, I started right before my 22nd birthday. Yeah. I was just a kid when I, when I started fishing. Have you uh, have you ever wondered what it would be like not fishing? I, I, it's a weird question, but mm-hmm. uh, that's a fair question. Yeah, I've wondered. I've wondered about it, and a lot of people have asked me. You know, if you weren't a fish, if you weren't a professional angler, you know, what would you do, what would you have done? And I, I may have followed in my dad's footsteps and been, a, you know, been a you know, being, being construction, you know, uh-huh. he was a, he was a contractor. Uh, I, I do have a love of music. I might've tried to nurture that and, and, and try to try, you know, that would be, that was always kind of my back of my mind. Always thought I want to be a professional musician, but, uh, that's another thing, you know, that you've got to nurture that just like you do a fishing mm-hmm. career. I mean, you, you've got to, you've got to really commit to it, and, but I committed to fishing. So, have you ever had any periods of burnout? Because I feel like in a music oh, career yeah. or anything, oh, yeah. you're, you oh, are yeah. always working. But fishing, it's like Groundhog Day. You yeah. go through your year, yeah. then you get your sponsors. You start over. Yeah. You do it the next year. You, you, get, you, a, a, you get a new boat. So how have, you, uh, yeah. how have you worked through that and then kind of refound the mm-hmm. the passion for the sport? Because I think a lot of people go through that with, with fishing is the burnout. They do. You, you, it's easy to burn out. And Oh, how, how can I sum it up? You know, I still, to this day, I love fishing probably more now than I ever have. Now, there are parts of, of the occupation that I, that I don't enjoy. I don't enjoy the travel and the hustle and bustle and having to get everything from point A to point B. That's the part that gets old. The actual fishing part of it never gets old for mm-hmm. me. It's the you know it's the business side of it and and the and the travel that, that gets old and you can burn out and I've had some health issues along the way and it's yep. all fishing related you know I've had three shoulder surgeries I've had an elbow surgery I've had a hip replaced I've had a, a triple fusion you know in my in my uh, in my neck I, and it's all wear and tear from being on the water so. One thing that helps me, Matt, nowadays is, you know, we have an off season, and I and I, I get out of the boat for a while. Okay. I just I just get completely. In fact, you're you're looking at this is the way I look, right before I go into that because I'm getting I'm getting, <laughs> getting ready to go into the. This off-season. is my look. I, I'm done fishing. In fact, this 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 trip, I, I'll fish a little bit more at home mm-hmm. when I get home, and then. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll kick it in neutral and I'll, uh, I'll do some hunting and, and some family time and, and I'll get out of the boat for a while. And it's good. It's good. Now there was a time in my life. I did not do that, but nowadays, uh, if I can get out of the boat for, you know, 50, 60 days, 
and uh, and then you think, oh, you know, it's going to be hard to get back. It's not. You know, you, you get right. You get there. There's being in shape, which I'm not, and then there's fishing shape. And you can get in fishing shape in about takes you about a week of fishing real hard every day, and you're right back ready to go again. Or at least that's how it is for me. Mm-hmm. You're, you'd be a big proponent of a legends tour. We need a seniors tour. Legends tour. Not seniors we'll, we'll, tour. we'll call it. We'll call it legends <laughs> tour. Yeah, uh, yeah. We we need that. Uh, I don't know. How know. do you make it profitable? Because if that's what it comes down to. You it talked could, about that it, at the it, beginning it, it, of that. It, it has to be profitable for for a league to want to do that. You know, in in golf, uh, you know, you've got different tee boxes, and, and you got you got a seniors tour and, and the PGA, and, and I think we need it in fishing as well. Uh, when you get, I, I turned 59 yesterday, so uh, definitely things are different at, at, at 59 than they were at 29 or even at 39. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you make it profitable? I don't know. I don't know. You know, you've got to, I know there's, at, at this point in time, there's a lot of guys that that, that fall into that age group, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, the Van Dams and you know, the list goes on and on and on. So fifty plus. Yeah, fifty plus. God, it's but, hard to believe he's fifty. Yeah, yeah, I know, it. I know. It. So there's there's a lot of us that are in that in that in that age bracket that uh that would love to compete. You know, and it could be a shorter tour. You could start out maybe you know have four events a year, mm-hmm. and then maybe two maybe, day events, three day events. Yeah, I don't care as long as we don't start too early. My- <laughs> So the last time we talked about this, my idea was all Great Lakes in the fall yeah. <laughs> or eight tournaments. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just kidding yeah. on that. Yeah. But I, I think there's a really great possibility there to work it in in coordination with, you know, you're having a a a tournament on thousand uh, or you're having a tournament on on Oneida and you have a legends deal on Cayuga in coordination right. with that. And sure. then you're all there for the first day to, to sure. sign autographs and sure. things like that. Or I, I think that there's a lot of potential because like I said, you're, you're part of the group that were winning classics when I found out about it. Like, I mean, and then your group before that were like, those were the OGs, man. Yeah. Like those were the guys who were That's there right. in Beaver Lake in like 1968, right. 69. Right. So it's, it's, <laughs> It's the I think yeah. it's the right time for that as someone who is is in my 30s and you've got a whole generation of guys like you and you have grown up with both the print media the TV and now the digital right. to where you your whole group of anglers KVD and, and and to you you have a big footprint you have fans that are not just your age but also a lot younger sure. to come out and sure. it's amazing to me how many guys last so long in this sport like mark menendez was 33 you're over 30 years it 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 it, i don't see why it hasn't been done and how you cannot make that financially viable for an organization yeah i think they could um what's it going to take like what does someone have to do to get this ball rolling i think the timing has to be right um i don't know i don't know the answer to that what it's going to take but i know that uh uh, it's, it's all about timing and I, I hope it happens sooner than later because I would like to be a part of it. But, uh, there's no, I have mentioned it 
numerous times over the past 10 years or so and it's no should we start one, a btl no, petition uh no no one is taking interest in it we should start a btl petition yeah, BTL for, yeah. jeffries is jeffries before he go. retired quote unquote yeah big proponent of the senior tour he's trying to make the senior bowling tour now oh really he's actually cashing checks on the senior tour How about that? he bowled next to uh uh pete weber the other week you know that? who pete weber is no he goes who the, you don't know who do you think you are i am with the sunglasses oh and yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah yeah crotch yeah. chop yeah. Yeah. he bowled right next to him in the senior right? tour How about that? so yeah. all right uh thoughts on this year uh, ne next year? No, this this past oh, this year. Past year? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to ask your thoughts on this team deal, but just mm -hmm. kind of as a whole, leading into mm -hmm. it. Uh, how'd you fish? It seems like you're for the last decade. You've been kind of streaky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of it's health health related. Okay. Uh, so this will be my third year in a row to make uh, make our championship, yep. making making red crest. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm qualified for. All the postseason stuff, and it's not really postseason, but all the extra stuff, yeah. heavy hitters, and 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 the red crest. So it's it's been a not a great year, but a, but a solid, solid, a solid year. I, I would call it. Yeah, had had some had some good finishes. Had some, uh, you know, some not so good. A lot of it is, uh, and I'm not blaming it on A's, but man, you just uh, you got to get your. You know, here's where I'm at in my career. I have to have really good rest. I have to really try to stay healthy. Uh, it doesn't take much to derail me, health-wise. You okay. know, I mean, you get a you get a you get a bad back. You get you know whatever it is. You get aches and pains, and that I mean, that's just part of being fifty-nine years old. I, and you know, I this year was uh, yeah, it, it was a good year, and you know, I, I'm not. I'm not going to complain about it. Anytime you make the championship, the end of the year championship, you've had you've had a pretty good season. So, uh, want some money and uh, and on would we go? You know, one of the things that is uh, new, and I've had Joe Pogron to talk a, a little bit about it for MLF in the past, and I know that it's kind of filmed in the dark, uh, just like the cups used to be. But MLF replaced the General Tire Cups moving forward with the Team Series event, and I think they have. Mm -hmm roundabout way they have three or four different uh groups of guys right. they're in the three teams they had right. the they had the draft that came out and announced but uh uh I, we briefly touched on this but i would like your your thought process on the, the team element of bass fishing is this something that has potential is it going to take off is fishing an individual sport will always be an individual sport i mean you've been there you've done it all you've won it all is this a novelty or is this the beginning of a new frontier? And that tree's falling. That tree's entire down. that entire tree is falling down over the in course of the interview. Uh, the team event, you know, it's always been an individual sport. Can you make it a team event? I think you can. Um, of course, this, this is a first trial. I would call it a trial run. Mm -hmm. You know what we're doing right now. Um, these guys are so good that you, if you go to a, a, a really good body of water and one guy kind of lands on them and he, he he gets his teammate on, they can run. They can just drive off and leave the, the rest of the field and. On a tougher body of water where every bite really 
meant something. I mean, on a stingy lake or body of water, mm -hmm. I think uh, probably makes for a better event. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for that. I mean, I drafted, I was team captain. I drafted Gary Klein and Cliff Face. And uh, if I had to do it all over again, I'd draft the same two guys again. We work well together. We communicate well together. We yeah. uh, Every two weeks, Cliff Pace comes out with a new balsa bait. Yeah. <laughs> it's I like mean, I look up online and get it. I'm and, like, what do you mean, another version? He showed, he showed me. This, I said, what's the name of this one, Cliff? I'm like, man, I can't. He's got like 40 of them. And then there's like 80 colors of all 40. I know. He works real hard at it. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to weigh in. Uh, good or bad on on the team thing just yet i think we're gonna have to to let it it, it is a trial run i yeah. mean we're plowing new ground here yeah. so i i don't know how, how how it's going to work i think there's going to be i think they're going to have to be careful about the the bodies of water i don't think you can just have a good team event anywhere i think you're going to have to pick and choose and go and it's a learning process yeah i mean you know i mean uh it's just one of those things you, you do it and, and and then you learn from it but uh we'll, we'll see how it goes because they're, they're going to fish three different regions uh one up north one kind of in the central then one one down south so we'll see at the end of them uh if they make you know trying to get a good television product out of it number one and of course the anglers uh we, we need for those guys to enjoy it as well so we'll see how it goes it's, it's really too early to tell you know, right, I, I competed in one and and don't get in trouble. I know it's filmed in the yeah, dark. Yeah, so. it's filmed in the dark, and I've signed a confidentiality yeah. agreement, so I, I can't Fair com enough. comment on it a lot. Yeah, we're good. All right. Uh, like I said, I wasn't sure where this conversation was going to go. Actually, at the boat ramp, filmed some stuff uh, with Mark Davis and went into uh, some really cool crankbait stuff. Seemed to be better, more of like kind of a YouTube video. Uh, that'll go out. So that'll be coming out in the coming weeks on the BTL YouTube channel. Uh, Want to give you a big shout out. Uh, always enjoy talking with you. We actually sat at the boat ramp uh, trying to figure out if we wanted to put the boat in or not for 45 minutes. And I just like grilled you uh, on questions of the past and history of it. I think I think the history of the sport is important, Mark. He absolutely and, is. And I think one of the reasons why there was a lot of controversy in 19 with the split was because it was a different format and then it changed the history and you're starting a new history. Right. And, and uh, I think it's hard to put into context without history. So whenever you have someone like yourself mm -hmm. who has been a part of so much of the history and then understands it and, and is a student of it yourself, mm -hmm. I always like to take that opportunity to, to overstay my welcome and ask too many questions uh, about how, what things used to be right. like, how they are, and why they are like they are now. That, that, that's that's all great, man. And I've enjoyed it. But you know, keep one thing in mind about about these different formats. At the end of the day, it's all about catching another bass. Heck yeah! You know, I mean, I, we got we've got stats, and I, you know, I don't know. I, that's a human thing. We want to have these stats, but and they're they are important, and it's part of history. But uh, formats change, and you know, let me mention one thing before we quit. And I hear these guys say, well, five, it's a five-bass standard. Five bass. Well, let me tell you about the five-bass limit and how quiet the five-bass limit. Because this this is it's not a standard. That wasn't just a number that just magically appeared. 
that number of five, it, when, when Ray started bass back in the late 60s, it was 15. Because most states will allow you to keep 15 bass. String them up. Popular, string them up and cut them <laughs> up, buddy. As the popularity of the sport grow, grew, uh, it went to 10. And then for years it was 10. And then the popularity of the sport continued to grow and state limits went from 15 down to, to 10, then some to five. And, you know, as the state limits changed, the, the way in the number of bass you can keep had to change with it. Mm -hmm. So, so many states nowadays are five. Some states are still 10, some are, some are six, but five became the standard. I can remember when we went in BASS, when we went from seven bass to five bass, Ed Chambers. Like the Ed Chambers? The Ed Chambers. Ed Chambers called me on the phone. He said, oh, my, and I wasn't sponsored by Ed, but we were always real close, and we, we talked a lot and visited a lot. He, he, he built those balsa plugs, and, mm -hmm. and we were good friends. And Ed said, oh, my gosh, Mark, what am I going to do? What am I, I said, what do you mean? What, what do you mean, what are you going to do? He said, well, they're going from five bass, or from seven bass to five bass. He said, they're not going to want to buy my lizards and my little worms anymore. I said, Ed, they're still going to buy them. We're just not going to be weighing in as many bass. He said, yeah, but but everybody's going to fish with a jig and a big spinnerbait. They're just going to fish for five <laughs> big fish. You're not going to buy my Zoom stuff. I said, they'll still buy it, Ed. Because <laughs> they still, you know, they're still, but they were freaked out. Yeah. And he, but Ed wasn't, I'm not singling him out. There was a lot of guys in the soft plastics business were scared to death going from seven to five that it was going to hurt the sale of their products. Oh. But the five bass thing, it it came from necessity. It had to go to five because state limits were five. Because if you're carrying them in the live well, you can't have more than your limit. So the limit was five. Not to say on MLF we weigh every bass. So now, should it be every bass? Maybe not. Maybe it needs to be 10. You know, maybe, who knows? I, I mean, I'm just saying the, the debate continues, mm -hmm. but don't think that, you know, it's easy to say, well, they're, all the tournaments are five. Well, yeah, they're all five because they have to be five. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if everybody had a 10 bass limit, you haul 10 of them around. But when you're not having to haul fish to a weigh-in, and the greatest conservation move tournament-wise, other than the invention of an aerated live wheel, is this format, to where we're catching these bass, and 15 seconds later, they're back in the water. And uh, whether they're on a bed or just going back to the log that you caught him off of, uh, conservation-wise, is great. It's great, especially in these hot weather tournaments. You know, you haul fish around the summertime, you're, you're asking for a disaster. So that's my take on that. Whether it should be five or whether it should be 10 or whether it should be every fish counts, I'm not going to say. Yeah. But we're at five because we have to be at five. If you're home fish around, you got to weigh in five. That's all I'm going to say. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. There's the history of the sport. There you go. Right there. What was it when you started your first year? Was it five? It was seven. It's seven. It was seven. Yeah. It had been 10. And then I, right before. It, it had been 10. And uh, of course, you know, like I said, State, you know, the popular here's the thing that people don't realize nowadays 
And when all these lakes were built, a lot of them were built in the 50s, 60s, 70s. And we've not had very many lakes built since the 70s. So we had all these new lakes. The, the sport of bass fishing was uh, <coughs> was pretty well new. Fish were really easy to catch. We had a lot of fish. We had a lot of water. We didn't have very many fishermen. And, you know, state regulations were, they were kind of wide open. You know, you can't keep 10, keep 15. Uh, but then as, as the sport grew and everybody bought a boat and you know they learn how to fish and oh man this is great and the kids and everybody's fishing 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 buying boats and the popularity of the sports growing more tournaments suddenly the states go up oh, we got to do something you know we're, we're taking too many fish so you know it goes from mm-hmm. 10 to 7 to 5 to, you know and it's kind of stayed at 5 so that's a great do i want to do i need to do a show on the life cycle of a lake. I need to get a biologist because that is a great point that you I've got, brought up. I've got the guy. You have the guy? I've got the guy. Because this is something that I don't think a lot of people think about. I don't think about it, but you mentioned it. You have those lakes, a lot of them, 50s, 60s, 70s. This thing explodes mm-hmm. in the in the 80s and, yeah. and 90s. You have new lakes. You have new lakes that have a lot of energy in the lake. Steve Kennedy explained to it to me one time. He said a lot of times when you have the lake, that's down and then it comes up like a Amistad or even a Falcon. He said, green equals energy. Yes. The lake gets energy from the green. That's right. When it gets old and there's no energy and nothing Mm -hmm. crazy has happened, it keeps sucking the energy. And that's why you see a lot of older old lakes that haven't had some major thing kind of tail off. Well, when this thing was in its heyday, you had all these lakes that were new lakes in their heyday and they aren't building big there. When was the last time of, 30, 40, 50,000 acre lake was yeah. made. Can you even name one in the last yeah. 10 years no, where it's like, no, hey, we got no, a new lake? No, it's not going to ever happen. No, it's not going to. You'll never see them. If they are built, it will be in areas very, very sparse population. And it'll be lakes were primarily built for flood control mm-hmm. and, and, and some hydroelectric power generation as well. But but nowadays, if, I think if, if we see lakes built, it's going to be for, for a water supply. Was that post-World War II that a lot of them were built? Some of them were built post-World War II, yeah. A, okay. a, lot, a lot of them were. But, you know, the Corps Engineers built a lot of lakes, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then and a few in the 80s, but not many. You know, that, I mean, that wasn't that long ago where no. you would have a new lake to fit. Right. Like, I talked to the old-timers who were like, I remember when this lake, they yeah. filled it up, and five years later. Yeah. And I'm like, I've never experienced no. that, like, in no. my lifetime. No, and, and we probably will will never get to experience that's that. a great you i'd love to get that guy's number and have yeah. him come on and talk about the life cycle of a lake I've and got, i've got you guy. all right yeah at least i'd be interested in it yeah. some people think this gets too nerdy the btl gets way too nerdy and i go way too deep like down a down the wormhole on yeah, it yeah yeah well, that's but good stuff it's... i'm to the point where if i like it i'm gonna talk about it sure sure that's <laughs> and right. i like there it and i like talking with you so mark davis thank you very much i greatly well. appreciate it also well. big shout out to uh, Mark Menendez for coming on a lot of good history, a lot of good stuff there, uh, with Mark. So that's kind of wrapping up the, uh, the fishing, the rider, the portion of this event. Uh, I'm headed home, uh, tonight or tomorrow morning early, uh, driving all day tomorrow. We'll be in studio Friday, uh, day four 
on day five tomorrow, Frank or Friday, Frank Scalish in at eight thirty. Have no idea what he's going to talk about. And then uh, double dipping on Friday at noon, we will have a live show. Bradley Hallman uh, will be there, and we will recap the Bass Master Open on Wake Hartwell, where it just was Hartwell, where it just was. Uh, and then I'm headed to Rayburn for the final open, and then headed to St. Jude's uh, the day after that, and then the season's over, and then we start talking about next year so mark davis mark menendez thank you guys a little bit different time today just because of the weather we had some technology issues but uh thanks for sticking around btl uh and we will be back on friday with all live btls that's it we're out